This morning, we're gonna take an opportunity to look at everything that God has done in the life of Collective Church over the last three years. And we're gonna have some facts and figures, we're gonna have some stories, but we thought to start it off the best way that we can kind of celebrate what God has done in the life of this church is through the people of this church. And so we are going to hear one of the stories that highlights the activity of God in Collective Church. So I'm gonna invite up Josue. Yeah. Sway, dude. So I'll give you a hug, dude. Oh, I love this guy so much. Everybody, you know, most people actually knows him by his alter ego, which is DJ Sway, right? Because I think he's like the official collective church wedding DJ. Is that right? That's true. I've done two. I'm doing three up, you know, in the next couple months. All right. So, so like anybody yeah. who's thinking about marriage, this is your guy to talk to. Yeah. Just like firsthand experience, best DJ party vibes ever. Okay, so can I get an amen, right? Yeah, seriously, you won't be disappointed. A little business plug for him there. But so, Josue, just tell us a little bit about how you became a part of Collective Church. Yeah, so um, I'm a native Angelino. There's like probably three of us here, right? And, um, True story. you know, I grew up in the valley, but uh, my parents and I uh, would come down to Santa Monica to church every weekend. So I spent all my weekends on the west side. So I, I really loved the west side from, from an early age. Uh, fun fact, I started going to church in the same building where Collective had all of their core group meetings at. So we both oh, wow. are, yeah, so we share that in common. That's cool. Great. So what kind of kept you here at Collective Church after you first started coming? Why are you still here today? Uh, for sure, it's the people. Um, as I look around, I see so many of my friends. Um, one of the um, desires that I had coming here was that I would um, enter into community in, in the sense of like having friends that were following Jesus and that were, you know, would walk with me in life through, you know, good times and bad times and just, uh, yeah, be, be friends with me. Right, so it's the people, that's what you appreciate the most. And you haven't always had, you know, the easiest time walking through life. In the life of this church, you've dealt with some pretty difficult things in the past few years. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, so a year and a half ago, I, I went through a really painful and difficult um, end of my engagement. Um, and so what, what led after that was a season of, of heartache and, and grief and despair, um, but one of the things that I'd never felt was loneliness. And that was because of the people here at church um, who rallied, you know, and, and were, you know, did practical things like, you know, call me, text me, pray for me, but then also were willing to go to the movies with me, have meals with me. Mm -hmm. um, so I never felt, you know, a lack of people that were willing to just be with me during um, one of the darker seasons of my life. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about like the specific ways that God provided for you during that time? Yeah, so one of the things I was kind of hesitant to do was go get prayer for it um, on one of our Sunday gatherings. But um, finally, I, I did one Sunday, and uh, God immediately answered prayer that day. Mm. Um, he uh, provided. So after, after prayer, um, I was connected to someone in our church who had gone through a similar experience. And um, he took my phone number that day, and he said, hey, let's get coffee this week. Let's hang out. And... Um, what followed was um, a weekly hangout for six months hmm. of coffee where he walked with me, he talked to me, he um, encouraged me and challenged me to continue 
pursuing Jesus through it, um, that he would ultimately be my source of comfort and peace. That's so amazing to hear. So you came to the church looking for community, looking to find people to do life with, and you didn't know that God was going to lead you through this difficult season and provide that answer ultimately in community, but ultimately through Jesus being your source during that time. That's incredible. Um, So tell us just like a little bit, like what would be your hopes for Collective Church moving forward? Yeah, I I think that if my hope would be that we would be a a church that we would be um, open and and authentic with each other, vulnerable with each other, and that when we see opportunities to be the church with one another, that we would would take it and that we would, um, yeah, take action and be there for one another. Amen. So let me just, I'm just going to take a few moments now. I'm going to pray that over our church because I think what Josue just said is what we all desire. We all desire authentic and vulnerable community, and Josue has experienced that. And so I'm going to just thank God for him and pray that over our community. Would you join me? Lord, thank you for my brother, Josue. Thank you so much for what you've done in his life and your testimony of faithfulness to him through this church that you used as a tool Lord, to build him up and walk with him through suffering. And we just pray that over this church right now, that this would be a place of authenticity, of vulnerability, Lord, of you meeting us in our deepest needs through one another. Lord, we pray often that this church would be marked by love. And we pray that Josue's testimony would just be one of many ways that you continue to show your faithfulness, your goodness, and your love to the people of Collective Church and to the west side of Los Angeles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Love you. All right. So I'm going to invite up right now our lead pastor, Lorenzo Smith. Give it up. Yeah. Hey everyone, how's everyone doing? Doing good? Uh, thank you, buddy. Thank you for sharing. What I, I love you, man. I think you knew that. One of the things I love about Josue is that anybody that knows him knows that he's got the biggest heart in the world. And um, he's a guy who loves people. He's a sacrificial person. He gives of, he gives of, of himself. And one of the things I love about his story and we only heard just a, a, a bit of it there, is that uh, Josue was looking for something in a church community. And he shared a little bit about what he found through a particular circumstance, but even prior to that, the process of him deciding that this was going to be his church family, is re- it was because he was looking for something. But what I love about Josue is that he wasn't just looking for a church community that would give him something that he wanted. He was looking for a church community where he could give something of himself. And if you guys know Josue, you know that that's the case. And that's always been the heart of Collective Church. That's what really even drove and informed our name, how we even landed on that name, Collective Church. That we would be a church community, a group of people that were in it for more than ourselves, that we were in it for what we could give, not just for what we could get, 
To receive something from a church community is good. It's appropriate. It's normal. It's, it should be that way. But it shouldn't be just a one-way thing. We should expect to be able to receive something from a church community, but we should also be looking for an opportunity to serve people, to love people, to participate in God's work on the West Side here with a local church community. The reality is that it takes people to reach people. That's why God established the local church. It's always been that way. It's part of God's design. That was part of God's plan for his work in the world. It's part of his plan for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. It takes people to reach people. It takes people to love people. God includes us and has designed for us to participate with him in his work in the world. And as a church community, here we are. It was on the screen. Turning three. <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> We're turning three. How crazy is that? Okay, so who was here in the beginning? I'll let you define what the beginning was, but who was here in the beginning? Yeah. Is it, it just think about the stuff that we've gone through. Think about what it's been like. I can't believe it's been three years. I, I wonder if we're even still allowed to call ourselves a church plant. Uh, sometimes it feels like we were born yesterday, then other times it feels like we've been here for 30 years. But we're celebrating three years as a church community. But as we're celebrating three, three years in, and even as we celebrate some of what God has done, we're not here to pat ourselves on the back for a job well done. Because we're not done at all. We're just getting started. We're just getting started in what God wants to do in and through our church community. One year ago, we were having a gathering just like this, sort of reporting on the end of our fiscal year, marking our second birthday. And we were reporting back on what a, a challenging year that we had had. And we talked about how we had drawn, uh, grown stronger as a community through some adversity that we had been facing. And adversity tends to do that. It makes you stronger. And we knew, looking back at that previous year, that we hadn't weathered the storm and God hadn't strengthened us in those circumstances just for us to fade away. We knew that God's plan was still active and at work in our church community. And we knew that God was not done with us. And we knew that he wanted to continue to use us to reach people and make disciples on the West Side. And despite the challenges of that year, we found ourselves in good financial shape. Remember when we were talking about that, especially for a two-year-old church, we were still receiving support from some um, other churches that had partnered with us early on in the, in the startup years of our church. And so we were receiving that support, which was great. But also we saw uh, really high levels of engagement in, in, in your giving, in our giving as well. And um, we were celebrating, I remember we were celebrating and reporting back to you the fact that we had covered 81% of our own expenses that year, which was an amazing thing. I mean, the board was ecstatic. I mean, the board, and, and they're very experienced people that serve in other uh, ministry capacities and even on other church plant boards and all that, and they were like, wow, this is unprecedented. This is amazing for a two-year-old church plant to, be, to already be covering themselves 81% of their expenses. 
At the time, we were meeting in another church building on Sunday afternoons, which, totally, which to be totally honest, wasn't awesome. But we were grateful for that season. We were grateful for uh, the church that we had a relationship with that allowed us to, to rent out space in their building. But it, was, it wasn't a great situation for us. And a year ago, we told you about a new opportunity that was coming up on the horizon and the possibility of being able to get a space of our own, at least for five hours a Sunday, where we could have gatherings on Sunday morning. Novel concept, right, for a church? And we had even been finding that having a Sunday afternoon gathering was a little bit of a challenge and uh, an obstacle to mission. Because in the Los Angeles area, where you know, this city is like the capital of weird cults, you kind of have to be somewhat traditional to be taken seriously. And so we would be talking about our church gatherings, and maybe we would even be inviting people to our church gatherings. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go to your church at 4.30 in the afternoon, or maybe not. And so it was important for us to try to get a Sunday morning gathering space. And we were reporting to you back this, this new opportunity that was presenting itself. And this was something that we had been previously unable to do. That We had never had an opportunity. We had never found a space that was available where we could have our Sunday morning gatherings. Despite looking for years, literally, and despite compiling a spreadsheet of over, actually about, probably just under 200 venues, 200 possible venues, and we just couldn't find anything. And so when this new opportunity came up, it was something that we wanted to consider. The problem was it was going to cost a lot of money, a lot more than we were used to. And I remember when I first brought it to our board of trustees, and I wasn't even sure how they were going to react. I wasn't sure if it was going to be a positive or a negative reaction. And, and I, I think I, I should probably look it up. I think I remember the initial email that I sent out where it was kind of like, you're probably going to hate this, but... And we presented it to them, and they are men of faith. And they are people of faith, and we discussed it, and we prayed about it. And um, it was a scary situation, and it was going to involve a risk. We would have to take a risk. But in that moment, we also realized that it was going to be a risk to stay where we were and stay as we were. And we recognized the opportunity that this was to be able to take this new space. And while it was an epic gathering space, the space we're sitting in now, some of you remember there was no space for storage. Who remembers the pods outside? Yeah. You hear that collective groan? <laughs> That's what we called it, the collective groan during teardown and setup every week. Yeah, we had pods outside. And we would roll up this door over here and we would pack the carts and we'd roll out the carts out the door and then down the hill and then into the pods and we'd have to pack those things and it was not awesome. It was not great. And that was part of the challenge, that we had no local storage here. We had the pods. But because this venue is used for other things throughout the week, those pods were brought to us every Saturday and then trucked out every Monday and then returned again on Saturday. 
And so that was the process. So not only did we have to pack the pods every single week, but we also had to pack them in such a way that they were prepped for transport. So we're talking about strapping everything down, making sure things weren't getting busted. It was pretty crazy. And it was really these pods and that whole process was the bane of my existence. It almost drove me to therapy. And anyone that was on the, the teardown team especially can vouch for that, that I was going a little bit crazy trying to deal with those things each and every week. But then what ended up happening is that we had the opportunity to, to rent out a room here. A room opened up inside here and we were able to like say goodbye to those pods more like good riddance to those pods. We were able to rent out a room in here and then we were able to get uh, some storage in here. But during that time, I remember when we had those pods, we would, I, you know, I'd walk into the room and I'd see how beautiful this, this space was and I'd walk in and it'd be like, ah, oh, yes. And then at the end of the day, I'd walk out and I'd see the pods and I'd go, oh, no, it wasn't good. So having storage here was just another example of God's provision. And I know that our setup teams and our teardown teams love the new setup, especially comparatively. And uh, we're just very thankful for the way that God provided in that way. The Lord provides. We've seen him provide. Over the year, in addition to the new venue, we saw changes and developments in regards to how we're able to serve our church community. One of the first things that happened in the year, and most of you would know if you were around back then, is that there was a, some shift that took place uh, with Pastor Casey in relation to his role. Pastor Casey and I planted the church back in the day, and we had always been serving as co-lead pastors. But as Casey had been coming off a, a difficult year prior to that with his sabbatical and all that, as, as he returned and um, it was just, it got to the point where through prayer, he just felt like the Lord was leading him to, to focus his role. And he pulled back from the, the co-lead pastor role and to focus on his primary responsibilities to be uh, preaching and teaching. And as I had been, I had been a co-lead pastor with him up until that point, and as he had always been our primary preaching pastor, it just made sense. It was kind of a no-brainer and uh, it didn't really require a whole lot of adjustment. And we made that change, and, um, and so I've been serving in that role as, as, as the lead pastor in, in a more solo way since that time. We also saw the development of a youth ministry this year, and we're grateful. Yes, where's, where, where's, where's Jeremy and Katie? I hope they're here. They're not here? Boo. Wow. Okay, fine. I won't honor them then. We'll just move along. But we're thankful for Jeremy and Katie who, who head that up and the way that they invest in our students. If we take discipleship seriously as a church, which we do, that's what informs our student ministry. It's not about playing capture the flag and, and eating live goldfish and uh, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to disciple these kids that they would know Jesus, that they would be in a relationship with Jesus, that they would follow Jesus. That's what we're about. And Jeremy and Katie have been doing such a great job investing in our students and seeking to disciple them. And it's one thing when we kind of look from the outside in and, and think that they're doing a good job, it's a whole nother ball game when uh, we hear back from parents about how grateful they are for the way that Jeremy and Katie are investing in their kids. We also had the opportunity this last year to add a pastor. And you saw him up here earlier. 
so grateful for, for Pastor Isaac. And he was affirmed by our congregation. He was appointed to serve as a pastor. And he's been doing so in a volunteer capacity because he has a real job. And uh, he's, been, he's been serving alongside with us and having Isaac here serving with us and on board with us has given us greater pastoral depth so that we can serve people better, which of course is something that's always good. Another milestone that we saw this year was the, uh, the appointing of our first local trustee. And uh, that's Dave Buck. Where's Dave? Where are you, Dave? Right over there. So thankful for Dave. So just to give you guys a bit of a backstory on that, when we planted three years ago, we were set up with a sort of a provisional board of, of people that were serving on our board to help us in our startup years. And we're just, we're at that, that stage now where we are now tra transitioning to uh, appointing local members to that board. And Dave was the first one that we were able to add to the board and uh, we're excited about that. We're excited about that opportunity to have Dave serving um, as a trustee on our board. And, you know, the, the role of the board, their, 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 their primary role is to serve in the area of, of the corporate affairs of the church. So we're talking about um, business issues, finance, legal, that sort of thing. And, and having Dave serve within his capacities and strengths, and he, he brings a lot to the table, and we're just super stoked about his addition to the board. But speaking of corporate stuff, people like Dave might geek out on this. Some of you might not. Some of you will, some of you won't. So let me just make sure you track with me, okay? Because we're going to talk about finances for a second. Someone's excited back there. So all I can say is that the state of our finances, actually there's more than I can say, but uh, that's not all I can say. But the state of our finances is, is kind of nuts. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, in, a, in a good way. Collectively speaking, you have been so generous and you guys have been so supportive in investing in God's work through Collective Church. It is so incredible to see, not so that we have money to pay bills and do stuff with, but because for us, we've always said this, we've always believed this, we've taught this, we believe that this is a discipleship issue. We believe that this is a discipleship issue. And you guys have been amazing. In a word, I would say that you've been faithful. In two words, I'd say that you've been good stewards of the things that God has entrusted to you. Remember how I mentioned that in the previous year we had covered 81% of our own expenses? Well, that was before we started play, paying for this. So when we started paying for this, we knew that that percentage was going to drop off significantly until it didn't. Why? Because through your generosity, we've been able to keep pace. And we're happy to say that our church community, you guys, you guys covered 82% of our expenses in this last fiscal year. Isn't that crazy? I have to send a weekly report. I don't have to. No one puts a gun to my head. 
But our trustees have asked that I send a weekly report to them every week, and that includes the giving totals. And I didn't even catch that. I didn't even realize. I didn't even expect to, to find that. But even with our heightened expenses and our significant rise in expenses, we still covered 82% of our own expenses this fiscal year. Or let me put it another way, because obviously that, that number went up, right? Let me put it another way. Obviously, our giving went up. By how much? By 25%. Between last year and this year, our giving has gone up 25%. That is completely unheard of. I mean, it's, it's the kind of figures that you see. It's like, man, I got I to gotta check the math. And you call smart people like Dave and say, hey, help me out with this. 25%, that's completely insane. This is what the provision of God looks like. This is what the power of God looks like. So that he can accomplish what he wants in and, through, in, in and through us. He moves on people's hearts to invest in his work. And we're so grateful that we get to participate in that. We're grateful as pastors to, to see you guys respond. And we're grateful to see that this is evidence of discipleship taking place. Especially when you consider the fact that I think we had I think, uh, I think it was 7% growth in our attendance only and only a 10% only a increase in total givers, but a 25% increase in total giving. Totally amazing. And while we celebrate things like this at a macro level, it's also appropriate for us to examine our own individual, our own individual part at a more micro level. We've always said that um, the way that we steward what God has entrusted to us is a discipleship issue. The way we steward what God has entrusted to us is a discipleship issue. So as, as much as praying, reading the Bible, and other things that we consider to be good Christian things, this is part of that. And as your pastors, we, we care deeply about what it looks like for each and every one of you to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to grow in Jesus as his disciples. And as we take a closer look at some of this, at some of our giving here, there was a total of 137 people that gave last year. A total of 137 uh, givers on record. 51 people gave up to $500. 21 gave up to $1,000. 37 gave up to $5,000. And 28 gave more than $5,000. So there's much to celebrate here for sure. But we don't want to miss the growth opportunity and the discipleship opportunity that this presents for us. What these numbers tell us is that more than half of our givers on record gave less than $1,000 with the majority of those giving what amounts to less than 10 bucks a week. So there's a growth opportunity there. There's a discipleship opportunity there. So I ask you to consider, where do you fit into this? Where do you, where do you fit into that? 
What does it look like for you to trust in the faithfulness of God, realize, that he's given, realize what he's given you to steward and contribute to the work he's called us all to? Let me be clear. We realize that we can only ask you to do what we're prepared to do ourselves as your pastors. Because how weird would that be if we were talking about these sort of things and I wasn't giving and Casey wasn't giving and Isaac wasn't giving? So I asked our business affairs admin to check the giving record of each of our pastors. And then after I did that, I sent a text to Casey and Isaac and I let them know what I had done. I said, hey, just so you know, (laughs) we're running your giving. We're checking your giving record. Casey responded first. And he said, go ahead, I ain't scared. Which was cool. And then Isaac responded with a stack of money emoji. (laughs) So I wasn't really sure what to make of that. But I can tell you right now, on behalf of the pastors, they didn't ask me to say this, but I want you to know that the pastors are pulling their weight. We're pulling our weight. We're trying to lead by example. And we're not asking anyone to do or to give or to serve in any capacity that we're not prepared to do ourselves. And I can just say, as one of the three pastors, I'm encouraged to be, and I I love that I get to serve alongside these guys, that they're men of integrity like that. Furthermore, as stewards of the church's finances, we want you guys to know that we directed almost $50,000 to new church plants, to our local community partners, and to missionaries, because it's not all about collective church. And as much as we believe in generosity on a personal level, we believe that as as an organization, it's appropriate to abide by the same principle. So we invest in good causes here on the West Side, in our city, in our state, and around the world. There's some pretty amazing things that uh, we've been able to be a part of. There'll be some more information coming out about some of that through uh, an annual report handout that we're trying to get finished and we'll get it to you in the next couple weeks or so. But we want you to know that your generosity and your faithfulness in giving reaches people and is doing good outside of our own church community. You might look around, you might might think, oh, I get it, they gotta pay for this place. But it's more than that. And that's why it's a value of ours where we are are giving money away to to serve other causes, to participate, to live out and to practice that principle of generosity. And while we're celebrating this past year, it wasn't without its challenges. We we had some challenges, specifically because of our bandwidth at the staff level. That was one of the hardest things. We have no bandwidth at the staff level. It's just Casey and I on staff. As I said, uh, Pastor Isaac even has a real job and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just Pastor Casey and I on staff. And we've been stretched extremely thin. In light of that, if there's any way that we have let you down, I want to apologize. If there's been phone calls that weren't returned, if there were emails that weren't returned, if there were text messages that weren't returned, meetings that were missed, I hope there weren't any. Um, But we've just been extremely stretched thin, trying to keep our heads above water. And 
we often feel, I don't want to put too many words in Casey's mouth, but I know, speaking for myself, there's times where I just feel like I'm dying. And there's been things that I've been working on for most of this year that I've been able to, un, unable to give my attention to. And so they're still not fully rolled out. And, but I'm happy to say that we're getting close. We're getting really close with some of these things. One of those projects has been a new website that's been in development for a year now. And if, if you're newer to Collective Church and you've been to our website, we apologize because it sucks so bad. It was our original website that we just keep, you know, trying to polish a little bit so that it works. But we have a new website in development and we're excited about getting that launched in the next week or two. But probably the biggest endeavor is a new process that I'm extremely excited about that will help people connect to meaningful community and discipleship and also ensure that we're providing effective care for the people in our church. It's really going to be a game changer for us, and I'm really excited. And we're probably going to be able to share a little bit more about that next week when we talk about what lies ahead for us. But these are some of the things that we've been working on. But it's just an example. Like, I remember talking to some of the mission members in, I think, January. And I'm like, all right, you know, we're right on the cusp. We're about to roll this out. And it's October. We're still waiting. But here's the bottom line. Our ability to serve people in greater ways is directly related to the number of those contributing. Our ability to serve people in greater ways is directly related to the number of those contributing. We have some amazing volunteers. Maybe I shouldn't say we have some. They're all amazing. But our our volunteers are awesome. And most of them serve in some capacity on Sundays. Can we just show some appreciation for our volunteers real quick? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's what makes this a collective church. Thank you so much for the way that you all serve. But whenever I, whenever I even acknowledge that, it's always weird for me because I always feel like you're clapping for yourselves <laughs> because so many people here serve. We've always had high engagement rates here. But I was a little bit curious about how, things, how we stacked up. So I did some research. And you know what I found? When comparing volunteer engagement rates uh, in churches nationwide, get this, we're actually in the top 10%. How amazing are you? You guys sure know how to make a pastor proud. There's something special that's happening here. And I don't mean in any way for the pastors to take the credit or even for you guys to take the credit. I want you to acknowledge the work that God is doing here, how he's powerfully at work, how he's providing in insane ways that almost don't make any sense. And there's things that he's calling us to, to work out his will in our lives. And he's allowing us to participate with him in his work on the West side. And this is what it's all about, people. It's all about people. Isaac started off by saying that, and it's true. The church is not a place where, but a people who. We've been saying that since day one. It's about people serving people, loving people, reaching people fighting for people, 
and introducing people to Jesus so they can experience his love and the new life he brings. I hope you're encouraged by some of the stuff that I've shared. I hope you're excited about what God has brought us through, the work that he's done in and through our church community, and the opportunities that we have as we continue to follow Jesus together as a church community. We're excited to tell you a little bit more about some of how we feel the Lord leading us next week, so make sure you're here next week. But right now, I'm going to have Pastor Casey come on up, and we're going to take a look at what some of this means and sort of connecting some of this stuff to God's part. Pastor Casey. Thank you, Pastor Lorenzo. Hi, everybody. Thank you for bearing with us. I know this is a lot of information really fast. I'm going to go super quick. I'm going to go like three minutes. Who believes me? I'm going to go three minutes. I believe. And if my microphone starts to do this, you guys start to get really excited, okay? This church, dude. Let's talk about response rate. Low. Let's talk about laugh rate. Low. Slapping some wrists. Love you guys. I just want to share a little bit. Because after all that's been shared, I want to take just a few minutes, like I said this morning, and where Lorenzo was connecting our history to God, I want to just connect God and reaffirm his history, or excuse me, reaffirm him in our history. So I want to start by asking a question. After everything we've just heard, after everything we just heard, after three years of believing together, singing together, being together, worshiping together, what might we expect of God? What might we expect of God going into our fourth year? I've heard many people who, who, are, who are very kind and like, God's going to multiply this place. The place is going to explode and stuff like, like, oh, okay. I've heard people say, God's going to give us a building and it's going to be beautiful. We don't want a building. And let, well, we do. I, if you have a building, give it to us. But we don't want a building. <laughs> there are people here who are like, who have expectations that God's going to give me a certain role here. I know there's men in this room who want to be pastors here. I know that there's probably expectations of God that this church is going to meet all of our spiritual needs. It won't. You see, each of us clothe God in our personal expectations stemming from our father wounds, our past church experiences, Greek mythology, all the way to Morgan Freeman. We all bring in expectations of God. And all of these known and unknown layers we bring to this community. So then let me just say right now in this moment, that is wildly, wildly dangerous. So dangerous for you and for this church. Why? Because like the old saying goes, expectations are premeditated resentments. That was good. I don't know who said it, so I'm going to take claim. I said that. So again, what am I saying? I am saying, am I saying that we should, should drop all of our expectations and go into the fourth year as a community and just forgetting all of them? No. No, I'm not saying that. I don't think that the Lord wants us to lose expectations. We are to behold the right expectations. So today, Collective Church, just for the next two minutes, I want to make a renewed emphasis on what those two are, 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 should be, what those are to be, how we're supposed to do that. So how are we supposed to do this? By looking at the sea, by looking at the sea. So I'm going to be taking two minutes to be talking about the Red Sea. So if you have a Bible, just please turn to the book of Exodus. Don't worry, we're still in like the book of Hebrews. If we get to this part of the book of Hebrews where we've gone so far, just so you know, he starts going from individuals and he, for two instances, talks about a community as their face. So that's what we're doing. 
Exodus is a liberation song. I'm going to give a little people, if people are here for the first time, you're like, where's the Bible study? I'm going to give you a little bitty, bitty Bible study right now. So you can leave this place going, okay, that wasn't that bad. Okay? <laughs> Exodus is a liberation song. And it begins in the brickyards of Egypt where these Hebrews, who we've been studying about for weeks, out of Hebrews 11, these Hebrews are enslaved to Pharaoh with cruel taskmasters, excuse me, and back-breaking quotas, okay? But it's in this wildly famous parted Red Sea where these Hebrews found their greatest transformation, their greatest. The Israel we meet through the Old, the Old Testament and the New Testament and these scriptures becomes who they are right here. Did you know that? They become who they are right here. Where in Genesis, they got their name. Where in Abraham and Isaac, who we've studied at great length, they got their roots. But in the Red Sea, chapters 13, 14, and 15 of Exodus, they, and pay attention, they became a people. They became a community in that moment. Right here in the parting of the Red Sea. Christians, if this narrative is not among your most elite portions to your faith, then something is amiss. So I'm not shy in saying that this right here is the capital of the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea, more so than the creation of Genesis, more so than the messianic reign of King David, more so than the messianic prophecies of of Isaiah. The greater portion of the Bible points forward and looks back to this moment. It is important. So then Exodus this infamous Red Sea is our lens. It is our view master. It is our people this morning to what we can expect from God. And I want to show you some of these expectations that Lorenzo was connecting. I'm going to lay them out, like I said, very quickly. But they're so beyond basic, you're going to think it's so mundane or boring or normal, whatever it could possibly be. They're that basic. And let me just tell you, that's the freaking point. Because we never, ever graduate from the basics of God. Ever. We must get these basic expectations down before anything else. So Exodus chapter 13. The people are leaving, as we heard from Pastor Ricardo last week. And God is taking them to the promised land, which is due north. And then look what happens in verse 18. Look at God's purposes. This is going to blow your mind. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt to equip, and they are equipped for a battle. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Joseph. I left that Joseph part in there because if anybody remember a couple of weeks ago, we taught on Joey. Do you remember that? You remember what happens? He's like, swear to me, you'll take my bones. They did it. They grabbed him. I love it. But also just keep in mind, they, they carried him in a bag for like 40 years. So somebody have Joey's bones? Grab his bones. Like for 40 years, they're dragging his bones around. That's awkward. Anyway, did you pick up on God's purposes? Did you pick up on it? He detours them. He detours them. Instead of Israel going directly north into the promised land, guess what he does? The Lord sent them eastward towards the sea. He goes, no, 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 that way. But the promised land, that way. Instead of heading them towards the destination, God sends them towards what? Difficulty. I love the way Psalm 77 says it. Look at this. Your way is through the sea, your path through the great waters. Your way through the sea. What is that saying? God, your path is always the most impossible. Your path is always the harder way. What did Doc Brown say to Marty McFly? 
Where we're going, we don't need roads. Tucker, you got it, baby. That's why I'm a discipleship group with you, baby. That's what he said. Where we're going, we do not need roads. That's what God is saying right now. Friends, is this not our journey as collective church? Expectations that we we should just go that way. That's the easiest way. That's the fastest way, God. We would have never anticipated the harder detour of of us taking years to get a freaking venue. We would have never anticipated the harder way of chosen the harder path of people coming and going. There's people who've left this church who who, who've I know saddened and and, and really broken many of our hearts. We would never have picked that way. Ever. I love the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He puts it best for us collective. He says, better though hard the right way to go than wrong though easy, where the end is woe. Get that tattooed on you today. Today we're doing tattoos after. We're going to get this. (laughs) By God changing the course for them and for us, what it does is, is it establishes God as guide right away. Not our feelings or our comforts or our expectations for what it means to make a community or be a church. So for the Red Sea and to our own detours, they are not, nor they have ever been, and hold on to this, obstacles to God's greater purposes. Never do we look at the Red Sea and go, oh, this is just an obstacle to a greater purpose. No, 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 no. In a lot of ways, what we must expect from obstacles and detours, they are God's greater purposes. So those challenges that we all face, rather than getting through them, we go, this is where the Lord wants me. Your way is through the sea. But why would God do this? Again, I'm going fast. Bear with me. Exodus 14. I'm going to read this to y'all. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong wind all night and made the sea dry, excuse me, the dry sea, excuse me, the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in them after them into the middle of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord. Then the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptians forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they might drive, um, be drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So why would the Lord detour any of us? Why would he do that to collective church? so that we might gain a vision of himself and his power. His power. God desired to show himself strong on their behalf. So church, when you look back, and if you've been here, and you think about the year prior, did you see God's power? I'm legitimately asking. You don't have to answer. But did you see God's power? I think some of us would go, meh. Some of us would go, yeah, a wee bit. Some of us would go, yeah. The book of Ephesians in the New Testament says we must have eyes to see his power. There are countless stories in this room, like Josue's and many others, and I can't go over them about what it means to see or be a part of God's power. But what we must all come to see and expect, and many here won't like this, but bear with me, that this power is most visible in the moments of our deepest communal desperations and weakness. New Testament, 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, when I look back on our history, it's been the deepest of valleys, and some of you know some of the severe 
turmoil that my family and I had to go through, and you guys were all so supportive. But when I look back on our history, where we've experienced God's sufficient grace, most supremely, are the valleys. And those valleys are mountaintops because of his power. So then, what that means is, and pay close attention if you're considering being a part of this community, what that means is our fourth year will not be easier. I will actually just tell you, I'm assuming it's going to be a heck of a lot harder. And let me just say, we want it to be that way. We do not want this to get easier. So as a word of warning, if you're looking for a promised land church and not a Red Sea community, if you are looking for a fully furnished, fully loaded, fully socked, fully professional community and not a group of ragtag, imperfect, weak, Red Sea Crossing misfits, then this church, this community is going to be far more of a headache than a hashtag blessing. (laughs) It's going to be a headache. You ain't going to like it here. May we come to expect his power in our weakness, not see it as a sign to deuce out or be cynical or anything else. May we crave it. May we see the impossible and set our course for it. May we stop choosing the easy and go, that seems like the most crazy. Yep, your way is through the sea. And the last of the three expectations is this. Verse 29, I'll read it to you. Going as fast as I can, bear with me. I see some yawners. You can just leave. I'm just joking. Verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground and with a wall of water on the right and the left, yes, Then the day of the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. A little intense. (laughs) 31, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. No longer did they fear the Egyptians or the circumstances or the obstacle. They feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Simply, he did it. God did it. We're in this room, you know what we should say? God did it. We have a Sunday morning time slot. God did it. We have an extra pastor. God did it. Josue can say things about his community. God did it. God did it. They are on the other side. His purposes, his power for his provisions. We have so much to be grateful for over this past year in the provision category as a community from God, like I said, providing pastors to places to finances. We do not care about money to try to get rich. No, no. We care about money to reach people and God has provided enough to do that. Woo! Man, so to the unknown stories again and the unknown events that we have no idea about, the fact that we're just still alive and kicking is comical. It's crazy. We shouldn't be here. It's absolutely insane. It leaves me speechless. This is hands down, and I say it all the time, the single greatest church I've ever been a part of. Ever. I had my doubts at times. <laughs> I had my doubts. Not anymore. So again, rather than flooding you with stories of provisions, I just want to take notice that our greatest joy transcends, though, what he could possibly give us, but to who he is to us. We will always, always, always be a church that go, we can lose all this crap. We have God. Ultimately, in Christ, amen. We have the Lord. Ultimately in Christ, our greatest realization that God provides more than we could ever ask or think. 
So going into our fourth year, what we can expect as far as provisions and how our heart should be hoping and wanting certain things as a community, just a couple guardrails for that when we think about things like that. A couple guardrails. Is that God always provides larger than our perspective. It is always bigger than our perspective. So I can't see the whole thing, nor will you ever will. The second thing I would say is lastly, nothing, nothing can give this church is greater than his presence. Establishing Christ and sustaining the Holy Spirit. I hope we believe that. So allow me to wrap up with this. As we go into response, I want to go with a question. We started with what should we expect of God, but I want to finish with what can God expect of us? For the Hebrews, when confronted with this obstacle and opportunities as a community, through Hebrew history, guess what they saw? Out of two million people, they saw the two million people broken up into three categories. This is true. They all broke up into three camps, three tribes. I want to go over them very quickly, and I would want you to encourage you, or encourage you as you're processing, what camp, if you were there, you think you would have fallen into, and what camp still today you think you would fall into, as these obstacles and this impregnable sea is in front of you. Okay, so uh, first group, there was the nihilist. So as a community, where are you in this? There was the nihilist. Exodus 14 says, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the wilderness to die? That's some jerk who's being super sarcastic because Egypt is filled with graves. Filled. So he's saying, are they so out of graves that you brought us out here to die? That person is a nihilist. Basically, they're saying, what's the point? What is the point? They are the cynical Overly critical, I would rather critique than contribute. Is this your camp? This is a deadly tribe. The next camp that they fell into there was a conservationist. Exodus 14, 12. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. This being those who just want to maintain. This being those who say, let us just go back to Egypt. Let us go back to what we once knew. This is people who want things like their old church. These are people who want things like their old Bible study. These are people who want their old leaders. These are people who want their old ways. These are people who want their old comforts. And it is far greater for the flesh to conserve, yet it is death to the soul. Is this your camp? And the last camp that we see, the spiritualist. Verse 15 of Exodus 14, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. People were saying, we should stop and pray. Those are the people who are saying, I just want to pray about it. I just want to stop and pray about it. May that not be said of us. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Did Pastor Casey just say, stop praying? Yes, I did. Bear with me. Put your phones away, emailers. Put them away. When in situations when we know what's right and godly and the Christendom response is, let me pray about it. No, 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 no. Sometimes to sit and ponder a while longer is not a mark of greater faith, but of unwarranted fear. Unwarranted fear. Should I have this couple over to my house for dinner? Let me pray about it. What? Should I serve with my brothers and sisters here on Sundays and caring for other people so that as new people come through the door, this place was taken care of and they were loved? Let me pray about it. No. Should I be generous to the kingdom of God? Let me pray about it. No. Now before again, everybody's like, this guy is going to hell. Bear with me. Bear with me. 
Let me, I want you to hear it first from the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon. He said, far be it from me to ever say a word in disparagement of the holy, happy, heavenly exercise of prayer. But, beloved, there are times when prayer is not enough, when prayer itself is out of the season. When we have prayed over a matter to a certain degree, it then becomes sinful to tarry any longer. Our plain duty is to carry our desires into action and having asked God guidance and having received divine power from on high to go at once to our duty without any longer uh, deliberation or delay. So some people are like, oh, well, Spurgeon said, that's fine. (laughs) Which camp should we fall in? Some of them have their place, I guess. But truthfully, none of them. The camp God wants us in, collective church, is the faith-filled camp where he says, move, go, do not quit, do not go back, do not fight, go forward, move, move, move. And this is the community that God is shaping, a community of warranted certainty that our faith is in something powerfully more than just a system of theology, that our faith is is something powerfully more than just emotional, spiritual experiences in our worship. Those are good things. But we want faith in this community that's something that is lived in and lived out of. This is how we want to be as a church. This is how we want to progress forward. This is how we want to look at our past. By no other means than faith in the purposes, the power, and the provisions of God. And hear me when I end it with this. This church must not succeed by any other means than that. Amen? Pray with me.